the Gritty Growing Up podcast. Because mental health conversations don't have to be uncomfortable and argumentative. Gritty Growing Up is about challenging the perceptions of childhood and recognizing that whilst it isn't what it used to be, we can still make it positive. Join us as we share conversations, knowledge and strategies to help your family connect and move forward together. And welcome back to Gritty Growing Up. Now, in this podcast, I really want to explore the concept of are we disregarding children? I've worked in the education industry for over 24 years and my career started as an early as professional. I was a lecturer for over 10 years teaching 16 to 19 year olds before becoming an inspector. And alongside that, I've spent 10 years working in therapy and coaching and have really had the opportunities to see children's needs from so many angles, as well as work with countless professionals, parents, families. When I was at school, and even in the first years of my teaching career, other than the students who had been diagnosed with dyslexia or dyscalculia, I can honestly say that very few that I worked with had additional needs. It was only in the latter end of my teaching career that I began receiving information about students who had received a diagnosis and that included needs such as dyspraxia, high-functioning autism and ADHD. So the question that I so often get asked is, well, did they just not exist before? And I wish I could say, obviously not, but what we're really seeing is actually this is just a really negative belief system that people have. And there's good reason for it. There was a real lack of understanding and awareness when I started teaching 24 years ago, but... Autism and ADHD aren't new things. They're not new conditions. They've existed for a very long time. And the only difference is that 24 years ago when I went into education, we just didn't really know about them. We had such a lack of understanding and knowledge that it actually meant that we just knew no differently. And so children were very adept at masking their needs and there weren't any accommodations made because we didn't know that we needed to make them. It doesn't mean that now children are making up these things or that parents are being snowflakes and they're not doing what they need to do. It's just simply that now we have a raised level of understanding. There's been countless research done. It's still going on. What we know about additional needs and neurodiversity is still the tip of the iceberg and we have so much more work to do. Looking backwards and with hindsight and a lot of training, I can identify very clearly the needs that existed in my classroom I just didn't know better. And as we move forward into the new years and 20 years or 20 plus years of education, training, knowledge, courses, CPD, postgrad diploma, I can genuinely say that I still sit open mouthed at the lack of knowledge and awareness that still exists. I don't believe that there's one person to blame for this. It's just a case that it's not a priority for so many people. We're really great at putting up posters and having dress-up days and wearing pin badges and saying that we're inclusive. But actually, inclusivity comes from a knowledge and understanding. It comes from a commitment to do better. It comes from a commitment to ensure that every single individual has got the training and knowledge to ensure that they can meet children's needs. In the last month alone, these are some of the comments that have come to me from parents through children through professionals who I've interacted with why do you even need a diagnosis they just need to face their fears it's not ADHD that doesn't exist it's just trauma having a diagnosis won't make any difference it's just bad behavior the parents need to do better it's best if we just off roll them 
It's 2023 soon and we've been through hell and back in the last few years and families need all of us more than ever. Science and research has identified so much about neurodiversity and yet children are still at the receiving end of such negligence and in some cases educational gaslighting. And I'm not attacking, I'm also not defending. These are just simply real life scenarios that families I meet every week are experiencing. I have had the fortitude to work in excess of 10,000 hours of therapy over the last 10 years. And I'm just seeing a continued failure by so many. And so much of that is simply, we have Senkos in school, but do they really have the knowledge and training that they really need, that they really want? How well do we match people to job roles? I only found out this week that an education welfare officer doesn't even necessarily have any mental health training, yet are supporting the most vulnerable and fragile children that exist in the education system. And what I'm seeing continually, and it's not across all schools, but for a large proportion is this bulldozer effect of attendance, attendance, attendance. And we really need to do better. We need to do better, we need to be better, we need to know better. And I understand from both lines of the fence that the system's broken, that there's so much pressure and a misunderstanding that the systems of inspection perhaps aren't meeting the frameworks of needs as we move forward. You only have to spend an evening on Twitter researching the feedback from senior leaders and head teachers just really struggling to see how they can move forward. So this isn't an overnight fix that we can develop, but it is something that we need to all work to together as a team. Educating ourselves about how to validate children's needs and to be supportive of additional needs is an area we can all develop in. From our GPs to our A&E staff to our teachers to our SENCOs to our educational welfare officers to our school counsellors to our therapists from all of us. It's not something that you just go on a course and you suddenly know. In the last year alone I've committed to over 50 hours of study just in autism and ADHD. And I can genuinely say, every time I go on a course, I just discover there's even more. I've been on some courses and just walked away going, did I actually gain anything from this? So this isn't just a one area problem, this is across the board. If we want to be truly inclusive, we need to have a really deep and meaningful understanding of children's needs. Because at the end of the day, despite having been a teacher, education's not just about attendance. It's about us developing resilient children with high self-esteem who have the protective factors to support their mental health and well-being. Attendance is important. As a teacher who had children and teenagers who did not attend and trying to catch them up with schoolwork, I am 100% behind why education attendance is important. However, if children don't have positive mental health and well-being, learning becomes difficult if not impossible. And therefore, it doesn't matter how much attendance we have, it doesn't mean that they're learning. For children to be able to learn, children first need to have the mental health and well-being to support that. For many children where they have missed or undiagnosed mental health or additional needs, we can see poor attendance. We can see emotionally based school avoidance, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, poor concentration, poor cognitive function, poor memory skills, frustration, declines in behaviour, anxiety, low mood, the list is endless. And for so many children, the warning signs are there for such a long time. I frequently meet children who have seen six, seven, eight different counsellors, therapists, all sorts of professionals, whose parents and children who have been saying for a long time something is wrong, and they've just jumped from pillar to post. And when we sat down and connected all the dots, 
it's been quite eye-opening to go, actually, some of these traits have been there for a long, long time. We know from research that if children aren't diagnosed before the age of seven, the likelihood is they won't be diagnosed till 14 to 17, and after that in adulthood. By which point, so many are struggling with such a lack of confidence and self-esteem that they don't know which way is up. In my work as a therapist and coach, I so often meet young people who have not been referred for assessment despite this being raised, often because these young people mask so effectively in lower school years, so signs are just missed or connections aren't put together, where we have changes in staff or a lack of training or we have just staff who are just so overwhelmed by their caseloads, they just cannot make these connections, not because they don't want to, just simply because they do not have enough time. Often there is a lack of understanding and training and this frequently becomes the case when it becomes assessment criteria for older children or males because where we have criteria they are frequently identified for boys. So when girls are being referred for assessment we just see that actually there's a real gap because they don't necessarily meet the sort of stereotypical criteria. Younger children don't meet the criteria that you would see for older children. You will find that for older children, they have completely different markers. So it really leads us to so many young people who actually are jumping around, not knowing where to go, and just being mislabeled and therefore misjudged. This can often mean that we just completely invalidate children's needs. What I so often see is children who are continually saying something's wrong, something's wrong, and they're just told, no, there's not, you're absolutely fine. What it can mean is that we develop a lot of side effects. One being a lack of trust because it's been like there's something wrong with us but no one believes us. Low attendance, avoiding lessons or days where we struggle the most or where homework's not done because we just don't want criticism, punishment or struggles in class. School avoidance because ongoing failure to meet a child's needs is a key contributor to emotionally based school avoidance. High anxiety levels where where children's needs have gone missing for a long time, their brains begin feeling that school is unsafe. So every time they try to enter, they experience a fight-flight response, so therefore avoidance is better. We see a decline in behaviour. So often I meet children who have learned my needs aren't being met, so it's easier to create some kind of distraction in class and be sent out because actually that allows me to leave lessons and have more one-to-one support. Dissociation, where a child's needs are not identified for significant periods of time, So we see an increase in them just zoning out and being disconnected because they're just trying to cope with the levels of stress that they're experiencing. And for some children, a continual lack of support and involvement leads to them experiencing burnout where they just simply cannot process anymore and experience the same level of burnout that we would see in adults. But we don't notice it because they're children and it's not something we associate with them. And in other cases, we see parental alienation, where so often parents feel that they're being blamed. And in many cases that I've experienced over the last few years, they have been threatened with outside involvement, threatened that we're going to have to get early help involved, we're going to have to get social services involved, you might have your children removed, you might be sent to court. Which just leads to a breakdown in interactions, compassion and engagement because parents are then terrified and they're sitting there festering thinking what are they going to do next, the schools and so often just feel that this is their only option left or that it will have a positive impact. I think we all know from school that detentions and isolations actually don't deter behaviour. 
It's been shown frequently in research that negative consequences very rarely have any impact on behaviour modification. So it's interesting to identify that the same routes that we're using for parents don't work for children, so why would they now work for grown-ups? And this often just leads to parents deregistering their children and children just sitting under the radar for even longer and when they do want to go back to school struggling even more because they so need those needs to be met. It should be noticed that whilst it's not reflective of all schools there is a cross-section of issues that just parents have experienced you know and there are some amazing schools and some amazing facilities that offer phenomenal support so this is by no means tarnishing all of them with that brush and I think it's just something we really need to be aware of you know it just varies so much for so many so why is it important for us to consider referring for assessment and diagnosis where there is evidence that a child meets the thresholds for assessment assessment and diagnosis can be really important it allows a child to understand their identity for so many children who have additional needs they feel different. They can see that they don't regulate or perform or socialise in the same way that their peers do. Diagnosis supports the understanding of themselves and how to meet their needs. And for many children, they feel that without that diagnosis, it's kind of a case of imposter syndrome. I'm living something that I don't even know for sure I have. Equally, they're not allowed to say I'm autistic or I have ADHD or I have high functioning anxiety or I have dyspraxia unless they have that diagnosis because they're not identified on the SEN list. So actually where there's not a diagnosis, children and teenagers just frequently struggle to understand themselves or to express what their needs are or for other people to understand them. In terms of accommodations, for many children they cannot be afforded the accommodations they truly need unless they've actually got an assessment and diagnosis in place. So we so often find that many children whose attendance, behaviour or interactions cause them challenges, there was a need but it just wasn't identified. And this can mean that there's some real challenges because for some schools they're able to put those accommodations in place very easily, other schools have different policies and procedures. However, the real problem becomes when children do things like go off to university and if they have got that diagnosis in place, the accommodations that are afforded to them often really do beneficially improve their transitions. So really sometimes we have to forward think. Whilst we might be able to meet their needs now in school, what happens later on on that school journey? In junior school, my school can very possibly meet my needs very easily without an assessment and diagnosis. What happens in secondary school? What happens in college? What happens on my apprenticeship? What happens in university or the workplace? So sometimes we have to consider that forward picture. Understanding. Without a diagnosis, we can find that many children are caught in a spell of misunderstanding and assumption. I've seen children who have been labelled as lazy, daydreamers, introverted, shy, having behaviour problems, being naughty, which just means that the child's self-esteem is impacted for something that has very good reason and cause and requires alternative support. For some children, the way that their brain works is different. Transition support, for so often, without a diagnosis, we can't open the dialogue that we need. For some young people who have gone into the workplace and struggled to maintain a job for periods of time, a diagnosis could have really impacted the support that they got because they would have been a protected group in the workplace and been afforded the support that they needed. In terms of medication, for some young people medication truly is required to support them, but without a diagnosis it's not afforded to them. 
So whilst many children don't require medication, for some it can be transformative for them to be able to have access to that. Relationships. Put quite simply, we are not experts in what should and should not be diagnosed. Only a psychologist or a psychiatrist is able to assess and diagnose a child and therefore we need to think really carefully about the impact of our own beliefs and actions on that child as well as our relationship with the families. In my work as a therapist and coach, I am not able to diagnose. I therefore have a duty of care to refer on to someone who is able to do that. It's a real challenge when I'm following those procedures, yet it's not consistent across all areas. What we therefore see is that actually what we sometimes see as a professional isn't a true representation of the child. I so often have children who come to me for therapy and coaching and a parent's given me their viewpoint of what's happening and when the child's come in, it's completely different. Not because the parent doesn't know their child, but because we all have a part of us that we hide. As I say to so many parents who I work with, even when children come to therapy, if I'm lucky, I might get 80% of them. We all hold things back. You as an adult sitting listening to this right now, I am certain that there are things that some of your family don't know about you or some of your friends don't know or your work colleagues don't know because nobody is 100% truthful because everybody has something that they're fearful of sharing or they're not even aware of yet. So when we don't validate or hear the concerns or we diminish those things, we actually reduce our positive working relationships we have with families and children and just increase the challenges that they're facing and often the things that we end up managing. So actually, by making decisions that sometimes we're not qualified to make, we can make things even harder for all of us. Education's a really challenging job. When I taught, I would often work 70 to 80 hours a week and throughout the holidays. And I know there's no exception now. My colleagues who remain in teaching are continually working those long hours. What I do know is when we retain our compassion, understanding and awareness, we can increase our connections with children and build stronger working relationships, a byproduct of which is improved engagement, higher attendance, improved behaviour and better working relationships, as well as improved job satisfaction. Which is perhaps our food for thought as we enter the next academic term. How can we do better? How can we be better? How can we know better? And are there some areas that we could all improve to just improve those opportunities for children? Until next time, stay connected, stay talking, keep looking after each other, and we'll be back soon with more Gritty Growing Up. Stay safe, keep open-minded, and we'll look forward to sharing more Gritty Moments with you next time. If you want to up your knowledge in the meantime, head over to dandeliontraininganddevelopment.com.